there is there is no chill jesus um that is a fact i'm as mad as hell and i'm not gonna take this anymore so you lie to yourself to be happy there's nothing wrong with that we all do it we all go a little mad sometimes come on one of you nuts has got any guts what's but a smile on that face you're only as healthy as you feel Listen to me! Listen to you, but what right? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let the healing begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So this week, we're continuing kind of our Oscar push on the show. Uh, and in order to do that, we are taking a look at one of Scorsese's older movies about faith to tie in with silence. We're looking at The Last Temptation of Christ. And to do that, uh, this feels so backwards because usually I record with someone and then meet them. Uh, but this is the other way around. I have I have Derek Stewart here. He uh, has shown up on War Machine vs. Warhorse, and I met him at Mike's wedding uh, officially. So now he's going to be on the show. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to actually having a conversation about film. It's It's been a while since uh, I last recorded um, an episode uh, on War Machine. So uh, I'm pretty happy to be on. And does that really count? Does that count as a discussion about film, or does it just devolve into men's hair? Like, that's... oh no, every episode becomes pointless. It's <laughs> to to the point that you know, normally from what I've heard, that you get fairly comfortable with recording after a couple of months. But but on there, I was like, well, I don't really have to look up anything. I'm just gonna <laughs> to talk about random things for an hour or so. Yep, so that's fine. That's pretty much it. So this will be a little bit different, hopefully, than that. All right. Uh, so before we get started, uh, did you want to tell people like maybe how to reach you on Twitter or anything you want to publicize? Yeah, sure. I'm not uh, on social media a lot, um, but one of the things that I am on quite often is Twitter. Uh, my, my, I guess my handle is what the kids still say uh, is Day Stew. D A Y S T E W. Um, normally have some, some fairly interesting things on there. I'd like to think. Uh, so yeah, you can contact me there. All right. Sounds good. So before uh, we take our break and I, I talk about temptation psychologically, do you have a couple movie recommendations for us? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, when we, you know, you and I had kind of uh, talked briefly about thematically what we were going to be discussing, uh, be it temptation, um, uh, things of that nature, I, I kind of uh, went a little bit on the nose uh, with Rose, <laughs> uh, with Rosemary's Baby. Um Oddly enough, uh, because the the two films mirror each other um, to a great uh, degree, um, especially when you're talking about um, you know being put in situations uh, in which you you did not expect um, and that you did not ask for or call for, um, and so I, I think you know it, it's really interesting when you look at how individuals in the 1960s responded to a film of that nature, um, which is pretty graphic in in detail um, by comparison to how they they respond to um, a film that, that we're about to talk about. Um, the, the other film that uh, I, I kind of uh, wanted to go with was uh, The Last Picture Show, um, which has always been a, uh, a, a big favorite of mine. Uh, and, it, you know, we're looking at 
fairly similar themes when uh, we're discussing um, quaint middle America and the depiction of everything being okay um, and there not being any sort of difficulties. But truthfully speaking, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the um, societal elements of that film, um, um, they are really um, up against the wall and they are really having to deal with difficulties and choice and um, and very, very similar to to some of the things, the temptation uh, elements and some of the things that, um, you know, our, our character Jesus is having to deal with. Um, oddly enough, I don't think this film would uh, do very well in that uh, era at all. Um, so uh, those are, those are the, uh, just kind of the two that were are on the top of my head. Nice. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to bring up uh, Rosemary's Baby for a second. I actually just watched that for the first time, like maybe six months ago. And there is a oh, reason great. why that's a classic. I would highly recommend it to anybody. It's a very disturbing film, even now, even all these years later. Um, and I can't ever complain about you being too on the nose because I am doing an episode on <laughs> The Last Temptation of Christ and Temptation. I just took the word straight out of the title. So, you know, that's fine. Uh, so The Last Picture Show, I haven't seen, but definitely will put it on the list. And folks, if you follow me on Letterboxd, there's a whole list of all the movies that have ever been suggested by guests uh, on the show. So that will be added to that list for me and for anyone else out there who wants to watch hundreds of movies and can't decide what to watch. So check those out. All right. Uh, so we will take a break. Uh, I'll talk about Temptation and then Derek and I will come back to talk about The Last Temptation of Christ. Most people know Stanley Kubrick is one of the greatest filmmakers of our time. But did you know that later in his career, he was so embarrassed by his first and lowest rated film, Fear and Desire, that he tried to stop it from being seen by the public? Hi, I'm Nate Jones. And I'm Austin Gold. And together we co-host the Best and Worst of the Best podcast, a show where we pit a great director's highest and lowest rated films on IMDb against each other to see what exactly went right and what went oh, oh so wrong. wrong. We've already covered directors like Stanley Kubrick, the Coen brothers, Quentin Tarantino, Steven Spielberg, and many more. Check us out at bwbpod.com and let us know what great director you think had the biggest blunder. All right, everybody, it's time for the psychological section. So today we're talking about temptation. Temptation is a desire to engage in short-term urges for enjoyment that will threaten your long-term goals. So in the context of lots of religions, and of course we'll talk about this a lot with The Last Temptation of Christ, temptation is tied to the inclination to sin. It also describes inducing a person into committing this act by manipulation uh, or a desire or a fear of loss. In the context of self-control, temptation is described as an immediate, pleasurable urge and impulse that disrupts an individual's inability to wait for long-term goals. It can also be used to mean the state of being attracted or enticed, and it doesn't have anything to do with moral, ethical, or ideological things. For example, you can say that a piece of food is tempting, even though eating doesn't result in negative consequences. Now, research shows that there are paradoxical effects associated with temptation. So actually, weak or subtle tem temptations are worse in comparison to strong or obvious temptation, because it actually takes less self-control because you know how bad it can be. And supported research states that available temptations are less valuable and less tempting. So if something is weak or subtle and not readily available, those would be the worst and the hardest to, to not give into. Now, temptations can have effects on your long-term goal attainment, attainment, and it has been found that individuals who experience temptation and the effects of it actually found that there were benefits to these experiences. 
So in terms of religion, there was a research article uh, written by a professor at Bangkok University about the motivational and persuasive negative effects of such temptations like money that can push you to disregard religious beliefs. He said that if given an opportunity at a huge amount of money, we have a greater chance of harming, stealing, um, or partaking in abusing substances. So this idea of money as a negative persuasion tactic is psychologically proven to affect our cognitive ability to make decisions. This article talked specifically about Buddhist practices, but you can probably extrapolate it to all levels of belief. Our religious beliefs can define who we are as spiritual people, but outside sources like money or other temptations can push those thoughts away and look to benefit us in a way that may include disregarding our religion. In terms of non-religion, temptation is usually used in this loose sense that indicate a lack of self-control. It allures us. It excites us. Successful endeavors of goal-driven activity are – they tend to be threatened by the tempting nature of immediate pleasure. Infatuation, for instance, can lead to temptation as someone might do something for love in spite of your better judgment. Now, the problem with something like this is how do we measure it, right? Temptation can be measured through indirect and implicit methods. Basically, you can create an experimental construct of an undesirable situation through self-report outcomes and measures of problem behaviors, and that will lead us to the full extent and process of this underlying conflict and the implications that sometimes get overlooked. A lot of research has found that components of an assessment that would allow us to, to really understand the influence of self-control would also take, help us take a look at the process, experience, and resolution of temptation. Now, there are a number of ways we are affected by temptation. So you have these valenced effects, very positive or negative, on a variety of outcomes from temptation, like the health and well-being of a person. Also, the relief of stress that the individual could be experiencing. For example, an individual's experience with temptation can actually influence your future experiences, predict future possibilities, and these outcomes. When, when we as people are attempting to address, resolve a complex experience of temptation, it can get extra complicated. For example, you might use, need to use the things like mindfulness, humility, prayer, reframing, determination, or other, other spiritual variables in, in, as, an, as an alternative to self-control um, as kind of your primary mode of attack towards, towards temptation because self-control is sometimes not enough. So speaking of self-control, that's the most commonly used tactic to resist temptation. A very famous figure in psychology, B.F. Skinner, actually stated nine methods for achieving this. Self-control is considered by some to be a very limited resource, which is depleted by use. So this is the stress aspect. So if you're constantly trying to use self-control in order to resist temptation or control something in your life, the more you use it, the kind of weaker it becomes on each successive successive use. But some believe that self-control can be replenished and that the immediate effects of your depleted self-control can be overcome, but you must also be able to identify the presence of the temptation. So having awareness about the situation is also really important. All right. So if you look at the research on temptation, of course, you'll find a lot of stuff on self-control. And the easiest way to measure that is through consumer behavior. So this article is called Yielding to Temptation, Self-Control Failure, Impulsive Purchasing, and Consumer Behavior from Baumeister in 2002. So he defines self-control uh, and self-regulation as the same thing, that they both refer to the self's capacity to alter its own states and responses. 
And really what he talks about in this kind of over overview article is the three causes of self-control failure. So first, you have conflicting goals and standards, and they undermine your control. Like you have a standard of how you should behave, but then a goal of what you want. And when those two come in conflict, sometimes self-control can fail. Second, if you fail fail to monitor your own behavior, then it renders control difficult. So this is the idea that we talked about earlier. If you're not aware of being tempted, if you're not aware of the situation, you will likely fail and self-control will give out and you will give in to temptation. And third, self-control will depend on a resource that operates like strength or energy. So if you deplete this resource, your self-control gets less and less effective. So the ability to alter your own responses, which is what self-control is, it's one of the most important features of our psyche and responsible for this huge range and diversity of human behavior, as well as, I mean, when you break it all down, the adaptive success of our own species. In terms of consumer behavior, self-control represents the capacity to resist temptation, especially relevant to impulsive purchases and other expenditures that would likely be regretted later on. So the factors in process that will undermine the self-control, which we talked about those three, are definitely worth studying because they contribute to, to people spending more money or maybe even spending money they don't have when you throw in credit card debt as well. The effectiveness of self-control depends on a bunch of factors, including chronic traits and weaknesses. There are some people who have more self-control than others just naturally. Being clear about your goals and not letting it conflict with your standards and careful monitoring of your own behavior. And then the depletion of this strength of self-control caused by prior exertion or decision-making. So if you have you know you've been kind of really exerting that self-control lately, maybe don't go online and shop. Maybe don't go to the mall on those days because it's going to be harder and harder for you to have that self-control. So in the long run, um, these purchases lead to, of course, higher profits for manufacturers and retailers, which is why they prey on this, but more unsatisfied and unhappy consumers. So the more you give in to this uh, this temptation and don't have the self-control, you, of course, will regret it in the moment, but you'll actually regret it even more later. And that can actually have some effects on mental health in the long run. Okay, so the last article we're going to look at is about that self-control depletion. So this article is titled, Unable to Resist Temptation, How Self-Control Depletion Promotes Unethical Behavior from Gino Schweitzer, Mead, and Ariely in 2011. So this really had four separate studies. So, But in all of them, individuals who were depleted of their self-regulatory resources by an initial act of self-control were actually much more likely to impulsively cheat than individuals whose resources were intact. The results show that individuals who are depleted of these resources were more likely to behave dishonestly in the first study, and depletion reduced their even their moral awareness when they faced the opportunity to cheat, which in turn was responsible for heightened levels of cheating. So we have cheating and then a lack of insight in study two, and then but individuals who were high in moral identity, that was something that was really important to them, they did not show elevated levels of cheating when they were depleted. So it does matter the kind of person you are. It's not as if you can just deplete that level of energy and everyone will be more likely to cheat. So self-control depletion increases cheating when it robs people of the resources necessary to identify and act as immoral or unethical. The results also showed that resisting unethical behavior both requires and depletes self-control resources. So everyone put in this position, of course, has a choice of whether to act ethically or unethically. But even if you choose to act ethically, the next time it'll be much more difficult for you because that 
also depletes the self-control. So really what it boils down to is that self-control resource depletion impairs the awareness of a moral situation and negatively impacts the ability of these individuals to recognize moral issues. And the moral identity piece is important too because it, it moderates the effects of this resource depletion on ethical behavior. So if moral identity is salient, is important to the person, and it's central to their concept, self-regulation is actually less important for curtailing this unethical behavior. So really, no one is completely safe when you're faced with an ethical quandary when your resources are depleted. But if you're someone who sees themselves as a moral person and is constantly aware of those challenges, then you're much more likely to still have the amount of self-control necessary. But the more you're put in these situations, the tougher it gets to act morally. All right. So that's it for our psychological section. We'll take a little break and then come back with Derek to talk about The Last Temptation of the Christ. Watched the movie? Check. Popped the popcorn, check. Sealed off all the doors and windows so that no one knows I'm home, check and double check. I'm ready to listen to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study. Oh, hello. <laughs> Didn't realize you were here. Hey, it's uh, Dwight, your best friend from the Broken Brain Podcast. Uh, what's that you say? What's the Broken Brain Podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Broken Brain is your weekly dose of mental health. It's a podcast hosted by me, a professional therapist, where we talk about the latest and most exciting things that we can find and learn about in the world of mental health treatment. We talk about anxiety, depression, uh, neurological underpinnings of the brain, addiction. We talk a lot about trauma recovery and uh, just all, all kinds of things that you'd expect from a show uh, hosted by and guested on by professional therapists, and other medical mental health professionals. You may even be lucky enough to tune in to an episode starring your very own David Hart from this very program. Speaking of which, Dave is about to tell us all about how to feel about this new, or possibly old, breaking blockbuster classic movie that he's about to say now. Take it away, Dave. All right, so we're back. Uh, it's time to actually talk about the movie now. So, um, so Derek, I finally got you on the show. We've been kind of talking about uh, bringing you on, and then I keep it keeps slipping my mind. So it's finally like I'm going to make this happen finally. <laughs> and I just assumed because you tend your movie tastes tend to run older. You tend to like a lot of movies from the 60s and 70s. So I figured, like, Derek for sure has seen this. So I was just like, yeah, that'll work. So, uh, but it ends up, this is a first watch for you, right? So, and it was for me too. So what was the experience of watching The Last Temptation of Christ for the first time like? You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it was a first watch. Um, and it was something that had been on my radar uh, for a, a number of years. Like I kind of uh, threw it in my list of, of, you know, thousands of films that you need to see to call yourself a, a film fan or a cinephile <laughs> or whatever. Yep. Um, you know, kind of fill in the blank. Uh, I can be pretentious about this if, I, if I've said I've seen this film. Uh, it, it, it was something. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you haven't seen Last Temptation of Christ. Who are you? I don't have to listen um, to you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You're no authority on film. Uh, but, you know, it was uh, – I, I knew of the subject matter um, to a minute degree. Um, and what I, what I mean by that is that I was aware that uh, it had to do with Jesus and it had to do with pissing a lot of Christians off. Yes. <laughs> and um, – that was honestly um, my only uh, understanding of, of the film, and so I'd always had a desire to see it. Um, I was, you know, a little bit about myself. I, I I am Christian, and and so 
for um, a period of time, I was a little hesitant um, about seeing it because I didn't know how I would respond to it. Would I would I still be able to uh, appreciate the the craft for what it was? Um, but I often hearken it back to uh, Birth of a Nation. Um, mm. I can still see that movie for their technical achievement, even though I think the subject matter sucks. Um, yes. So w- w- with this uh, specifically, I, I just it's one of those that I just hadn't gotten around to seeing, um, and, and I really wanted to see the performances. I wanted to see um, if it was going to uh, touch me or make me feel a certain type of way, good, bad, or, or, or otherwise. Um, so I was really, you know, I was, I was glad when you reached out to me and, and said that, that this is the film that we were going to be reviewing. So. Right. Nice. I actually have a very similar uh, experience with this movie is that it's one of those movies that, again, has been, you know, on your list of shame, which just, well, <laughs> the more you know about the movies, the the longer that list will get. Like, you know, oh, now I haven't seen that and I haven't seen that. And, but this yep. feels like a movie I should have seen. Like, definitely when I was in high school and starting to leave the, ch- leave the church, I was really into Scorsese. And this feels like, I mean, this would have been perfect. Like, it's a Scorsese movie that pissed off a bunch of religious people. Like, <laughs> count me in. This <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, And kind of what you're talking about, like there was actually an attack on a theater in Paris because of this movie. It was banned in like six or seven countries. Like people were pissed. Like people were really upset about this. And, you know, anytime you take a holy figure, you put them on screen and then you have them lustful. And in some cases in this movie, actually having sex. And in some cases in this movie, like, building the the materials for what he would be crucified on. Like, that's pretty – I mean, it's almost like you're you're asking for people to be upset. Like, you know you know, uh, a bunch of, like, religious right folk aren't going to see this movie and be like, oh, well, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of gaps in the Bible, so I guess this could have happened. Like, people don't <laughs> tend to be that calm about their religious figures. So I think Scorsese probably knew going in that this was going to upset some people. Oh, and you know, he, he had to, um, because like you were saying, this isn't gaps in the uh, King James Version. You don't uh, discuss Jesus as, you know, the filler of the text as being, you know, him and uh, Mags, as I've called her, um, <laughs> slaying down. That 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 isn't something right. that, that is in, uh, you know, the, the abridged uh, manual of the Bible. Um, and so, you know, it, it doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't matter, um, you know, uh, where I think Scorsese lands from a from a spirituality perspective. Uh, there's a level of awareness that, hey, uh, I'm really sticking my neck out um, yeah. with this material. Um, you know, just just doing a little bit of reading uh, as it pertained to to his thoughts about um, the subject matter of the film. It, it seemed to me that it was something that he always wanted to, to do. It was a story that he always wanted to be able to tell. However, uh, when we look at uh, films of a spiritual nature, especially as it pertains to, to Jesus. Uh, um, and in America, um, they don't have this slant or this uh, rawness or um, this creativity. Um, and so uh, when he's reading the the, the original uh, um, book on this, um, he has to be aware that, yeah. that this is not going to work for not just middle America, um, but at any point of America at that period. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, you bring up a a good point that if you want to fill in gaps in Jesus's life, like there's basically year 10 to year 33. There's a lot of a lot of unexplained stuff. But once you start messing around with Jesus in his 30s and start changing this stuff, people are people are not going to be particularly pleased. And I think you can you can particularly tell he knew because the beginning of the film opens up with this kind of opening crawl that says, by the way, this isn't based on the Bible. So don't (laughs) it was essentially like it was the 1988 version of don't at me like it was just like <laughs> leave me alone it's based on a book fuck off you know so you he definitely knew what he was getting into 
Well, I think the only way he could have taken it further is if he had actually ended it with fuck off and then went into <laughs> Jesus being slapped by Judas <laughs> for not being man enough. Yeah, I mean, you almost have that in the beginning of this film, so it's that's in there. So, but let's let's talk more specifically about Scorsese's direction. So, Scorsese is one of those people, um, you know, he's kind of in a class by himself or at least kind of in this elite group. So it's it's always hard to do a podcast on a Scorsese and be like, well, let me tell you, Marty, <laughs> what you could have done better. Uh, but what was your uh, what are your opinions on, on overall on the direction of this film? Well, it's funny that you say that because I, I don't necessarily feel like a, um, a an authority um, on Scorsese and his directing style while I'm sitting on the floor in front of a laptop <laughs> talking to you right now. Um, however, um, one of the things that, that uh, really stood out to me, uh, especially the further I got into the film and, in, and in, into the story itself and and um, the, the direction that I felt that he was was going in in the story, the way he wanted to tell the story uh, was, was pretty simple to me. And, and what that is, is that Scorsese could have, or a director uh, that was not as um, sensitive as he was, could have taken this film and this material, and it could have been um, akin to an exploitation film mm. um, in a lot of ways. I think when you even, when you hear the the, um, uh, the basic synopsis of Jesus is tempted uh, in this film um, and trying to go through doubt and sadness prior to um, the his crucifixion, and he is tempted with the potential for um, an extra or for uh, um, some sort of affair with uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, in my head I'm thinking that could be a porn um, yeah. somewhere. I'm pretty that sure that's probably already been made. Like that would surprise <laughs> me at all. But yeah, I, I think he brings it right up to the line of exploitation because that's kind of his style. He's not one to pull punches. Um, so he comes right up to there, but I think he pretty deftly avoids it being an explo- exploitative film. I think so, and and I think you can you can look to just basic scenes, uh, the way that they're shot. Uh, you, you take um, you know Mary Magdalene when Jesus first uh, kind of sees her in the first um, act of the film, and and uh, obviously you know that that men are going in and out of her her little uh, bedroom area, um, and it's uh, you know it's hidden in a lot of ways behind these these sheets or these curtains, um, and to me. Uh, as a viewer, uh, I have a greater appreciation um, for depicting it in this way that, like I said, isn't um, a, you know an exploitative way of of showing her or showing you know Jesus looking upon her. I think it's a story within itself um, that that the curtain itself is is indicative of Jesus not wanting to really gawk or stare um, at her. And I think that you know when you're looking at uh, Scorsese, I, I agree completely with you. Um, a lot of his films um, they they don't hold back uh <laughs> from imagery they don't hold back from language um things of that nature um but uh, this isn't tarantino's jesus <laughs> either <laughs> and thank goodness for that that's nobody i don't need that i like tarantino but i don't need that in my life i just no thank you <laughs> Um, what did you think about kind of you mentioned the imagery and there's a lot of kind of outlandish imagery in this film, like when you've got the snakes and we've got the the lion crossing the, you know, crossing the, the kind of pit that he's that he's kind of drawn around him. What did you think of how that was handled? Because as I was watching, I felt like I you bring a lot into movies with you. And I thought, like, if this was anyone but Scorsese right now, I would be rolling my eyes so hard. Um <laughs> 
but it's Scorsese, so you kind of stay with it. And I think that imagery really works. Uh, but it makes me wonder, like, would it work if someone had never seen a Scorsese film or if it was directed by someone else? I don't know. I, I, I do think that there's something to the idea that in lesser hands, I, I don't know if if I would be able to sit there and say, oh, well, that's Scorsese. He knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, why am I sitting here saying, well, that doesn't that doesn't work? Uh, there were moments uh, with that that I really had to sit back for a second and 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 say, OK, this this is a depiction of Jesus. There's going to be some fantastical elements, right. um, including talking snakes and uh, this very uh, uh, jungle bookian kind of um, <laughs> thing going on with the lion and yeah, like Mufasa is showing up for some reason. I don't know yeah, why. It's... I, I don't yeah, the James Earl Jones cameo really threw me off. Um <laughs> however, uh for the most part I was I was not only okay with it, but uh, it, it's another one of those moments with Scorsese uh where I appreciate uh the leap of faith uh or right. uh, the um the uh, courage uh, that it takes for for moments like that to shoot something like that uh, in the film. There's only one moment um, in which it really kind of takes me. It, I'm, I'm a little off about it, and that was the uh, the removal of his heart um, scene. <laughs> I, and this was literally my reaction when it happened. As I started laughing, I was like, "Okay, <laughs> like, did we have to go Temple of Doom on this? Like, is that like what?" How did we get here? Like, it, I think you're right. It's the one moment of the film. Like, there are many over-the-top moments. I mean, there are snakes with human voices. That is – that's like the definition of over-the-top. But you go sure. with it, like you said, because of the religious background and because of faith. You're like, okay, I'm fine with this. This can work. And then he pulls out his heart, and it's never explained. Like, the next scene, like, he's just – he's fine. It's, everything's closed up. There's no – there's no uh, um, Ju- Judean stitches going on. Like, it's just like, <laughs> no, this is just a magical moment. And I put my heart back in and we're fine now. <laughs> yeah, like, no, what? yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when it comes, you know, we, we kind of can't say very much when we're talking about uh, a film about Jesus uh, being directed by a film or by the Messiah of filmmaking. So, right. yeah, uh, but, you know, between the between the two, uh, it's pretty difficult. However, I, I do agree with you. Uh, that scene and that scene specifically was one of those that I would have uh, really wondered or appreciated um, if uh, that visual just wasn't there. Um, right. I don't know how else you, you choose to display that um, or if he could just be discussing the idea or the concept uh, the, or the symbolic nature of his heart uh, without pulling out a pumping organ and holding it in his hand. Um, I right. don't – it wasn't necessary for me. Right. But the thing I do like about that sequence of scenes is that I think it takes a lot of guts to put basically a warrior Jesus on screen because that is not something that we think of when we think of either the man you believe to be Jesus or the legend you believe to Jesus to be Jesus. War is not something you think of. So to have a character that is kind of trying to figure out who he is and what the right steps are, I think is actually gutsy from a filmmaking perspective. Like, you know, already people are going to be upset, but, you know, you have Jesus with a basically with an axe in his hand like that's that's another level oh yeah absolutely for it to be the depiction of a uh, early 30s uh jesus this is jesus coming of age story if anything else he is a teenager that one day uh mm. wants to be, to be a football player and the next day wants to be well with the art geeks and the next day fill in the blank um right. he 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 
tossles or he jumps back and forth um, based on maybe his own illumination or enlightenment uh, about the role that he needs to play that is necessary for for him to take on. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I did enjoy uh, War Jesus. Um, <laughs> That'll be the hashtag for this episode. War Jesus. That's that's perfect. Yeah, that'll get tons of hits. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the acting in this film. So I, the other thing I started thinking of, like, you have to remember this is made in 1988. You know, this is almost 30 years ago. And I thought to myself, like, if this movie was made today, if it was never, never made by Scorsese, this wasn't a remake, but we were making it today, this would be like the most whitewashed movie in the history of film. Like, we make this movie based in... <laughs> Based in the Middle East, and we got Willem Dafoe, <laughs> Harvey Keitel. I mean, like, really? Uh, but what did you think of Willem Dafoe as Jesus? Like, how do you walk in as an actor and be like, okay, I'm playing Jesus? Like, talk about no pressure at all. But what did you think of his uh, his performance? You know, what's funny is I actually loved it. Um, I, I I really did, and and maybe you know a lot of it could do with with how the character itself uh, was written and just the variety that he got to play. I mean, we get to see the gamut of Jesus' emotions, and I, I feel as, as long the, as they're uh, extreme, we saw all of them. The yes, <laughs> there is there is no chill Jesus. Um, <laughs> that is a fact. Uh, but I but I thought uh, you know. I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest that this was one of my my uh, hesitances about seeing this film um, I always enjoyed William Defoe as an actor um, but uh, you know I know that in the, the mid 2000s um, when I first started thinking about seeing this film I could not picture uh, the the visualization of white Jesus on top of William Defoe's face um, <laughs> that just visually did not compute um, but I, I but honestly I, I really did enjoy um, a lot of his performance uh, yeah were there moments in in which um, you know he was playing a little over the top um, you could say sure um, but I, but I also think that that was the you could say that that was the nature of Jesus' character um, at that point was there there's a sense of of immaturity in his understanding of the self and when you looked at uh defoe's uh playing of that i think he does pretty well um he he is being asked to 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 carry a you know a heavy load in this film you're not just playing jesus but you're just about in to my knowledge every scene in the film yeah um you know so that so you're already carrying a lot of weight um when it when it comes to that and i, and I think he did a pretty good job yeah and i think actually it gets better as it goes along the first like Maybe 20 minutes of this movie, I was like, oh, man, I may have picked the wrong movie. I don't know if I can <laughs> I can get through this because it is like, you know, walking down the beach and like collapsing and screaming, which they explain later. But I'm watching this with my wife and my wife is like, what is this horseshit? Like, what are you what are you watching? And she ended up like just being on her phone for the next, you know, two hours and 35 minutes. But I did think his performance as the movie goes on gets a lot better because I think you gain you gain context into who he is but the beginning of the movie is a little rough um but i do think that probably the weakest performance is harvey keitel here and i love harvey keitel but he needs to stay in his lane <laughs> because he's playing judas still like he's a new york gangster like the entire movie i was just like like zero substance to this performance one level just angry just pissed off for the whole movie and i think it 
it steals something away from the emotion of the movie when he has to betray Jesus at near the end of the film. Like spoilers sure. if you've never read the Bible, but like that's <laughs> that's gonna happen. Um, but so when that happens, you don't really care. You're just like, oh well, I guess that had to happen. And that's because he spends the rest of the movie just yelling at Jesus. Like just and it. I think if you if you know the story of the Bible, you know these two were close. They were friends, and to me, I never grasped that relationship during the movie. Uh, I went back and forth with Kaitel uh, in a lot of ways, and and you know I'd looked up already that that um, folks were not a fan of his performance. Hey, he um, won a, a Golden Raspberry Award. Yes, he won yes worst he did. actor. So yes, and so maybe because I had had done a little pre research, um, my expectation uh, for his performance was was bottom basement already. I was like, this is going to be the shits. He's walking in with a bright red beard and, and taped on hair. And yeah, the hair was not great. That's it was visually, it looked uh, ridiculous. And, and I, so, so I think for, for me, um, that lowered my expectations already. So the rest of the film, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it wasn't good. Um, you're not uh, horrible. Great job. You're, exactly. <laughs> you are not an absolute shit. Um, but you know, I, it, it did go back and forth. He 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 played Harvey Keitel, um, right. honestly. Uh, and at no point did I really, or was I really, able to separate uh, Judas from 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 uh, Keitel at all. It it was, um, uh, it kind of took me out of the film um, in a lot of ways. And, and in a lot of their scenes, I know, uh, you know, the the impression was this is supposed to be a powerful scene between uh, Jesus and his eventual betrayer who he calls friend and. And, um, you know, this is really supposed to tug on you. Um, and instead it just, it's, it felt silly at moments because it felt forced on, on the part of, of Kaitel. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't love it. Yeah. I, I didn't love it. So what about, uh, Barbara Hershey as Mary Magdalene? I think, uh, this was another performance that at the beginning of the film, I wasn't as big of a fan because her entrance is kind of explosive and you're just sitting there kind of like, oh, man, is it going to be like this the whole movie? Is it just going to be like essentially oh. essentially Mary Magdalene just telling Jesus he's not a man for like two and a half hours? Like, Jesus, like it's this whole idea of like, I know you lust after me, so you're not doing anything about it. So fuck <laughs> you. And But I think, again, as the movie goes, you get you get more out of her character and I actually really liked her performance. Yeah, you know, poor Jesus just gets slapped around uh, verbally. Especially that first hour, man. Good God. He does. Uh, my my goodness, you have a woman that's laying there there naked saying, "Take me," um, uh, but you can't because you're not a real man, Jesus. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's difficult uh, for 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 her. I, I agree with you again. Um, you know, kind of a lot of about this film in the first act is a little slow and it's a little. I don't really know what to think of these characters, and I think that that hurts uh, everyone uh, that was acting in the film. Um, however, I, I do think for for her character, she she has second to uh, Defoe's character or to Jesus, I think she has some really powerful scenes. Um, and, I, and I think that if you notice the, the, the scenes in which, you know, she's, you know, that they are throwing, they're basically stoning her, they're throwing the rocks at her. She's not speaking, um, but the way that she is uh, performing in, in that moment, and, you know, I'm, I, my heart is really like, oh, God, we have to get her out of this situation. Um, you know, her her story has yet to be told. She, she's got a long life ahead of her. She's not going to be a harlot forever. Um, and I think in a lot of ways it, it speaks to uh, the care 
at which, uh, you know, Barbara Hershey really, really took on this role. Um, and I'm sure it was, I'm sure that wasn't an easy role for her to play either. You know, we talk so much about Wim Dafoe taking on the role of Jesus, um, but for her to take on the role of Mary Magdalene in this sense and in this context probably was not an easy thing either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so on most of these episodes, if someone says like, oh, the actor's character, I don't mind, but come on, it's Jesus. You gotta, you gotta remember <laughs> that. That's, <laughs> you're the Christian on this show. You, come on, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, Jesus. There you go. Oh, yeah, him. All right. So we're talking about the passion, right? Yeah, yeah, same thing. <laughs> I mean, like, no difference at all. Um, so, so let's talk about the writing of this film, because I think, I think the writing is interesting, but I think it has some problems. Um, and I think some of them are, are are avoidable and some of them aren't. For me, this movie becomes, you know, and this is really crass, but it becomes like Jesus's greatest hits. Like you're like, well, we got it. We got to get the lepers in here. We got to get the money changers. You know, we, we got to have all these moments. And to me, it just felt like. Strangely enough, for a three-hour movie, it felt too quick. It felt like we were moving from these these points that we had to hit. It's like when you're adapting, you know, War and Peace, you feel like, oh, well, we got to rush to get this to this thing. And it felt like the relationships with Jesus and his disciples were were really very basic. Like you, except for Judas, you could kind of pick and choose which one and kind of interchange them. So, like, I think it's it's hurt by this, but I also think like if you make a movie about Jesus and you don't have him turning over tables in front of the church and you don't have him healing people, people are going to be upset because then it, it becomes like, oh, well, then this isn't a story about Jesus at all. Sure. But you also have a lot of folks that are saying this isn't a story about my Jesus because my Jesus does not have sex. Uh, so it, it, I, I agree with you uh, to to an extent. It, it's it's a difficult thing because they are telling their, like I said, their own rendition of Jesus, which means there's going to be additions to the story that 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 we you know were, were taught or, or what we knew to be true. Uh, so with that being said, for a three hour movie, if I'm going to add in all of these scenes of, of Jesus's temptation and his uh, uh, you know his his some of his difficulties and, and things of that nature. Um, how do I then also add in these pieces of the gospel uh, that everyone knows? And so I don't know how you necessarily do that without it appearing to be uh, a montage, which is how it felt. Right. Um, it was the ways. Rocky training version of <laughs> of Jesus healing people. Like all we need <laughs> is to set it to some catchy music, and we have the Jesus montage, which I would absolutely someone put together that on youtube i would watch that <laughs> just a ridicule <laughs> but you know it, it but it was and you know it's funny that you make that rocky comparison because uh at the you know during these these scenes and, and i wonder you know if if there's an expectation for defoe to play it this way um but jesus becomes it appearingly it appears to be very smug um once he's uh you know done all this this healing and we've jumped through all of these random scenes and i don't really mean for them to to say that they're random, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, that that Jesus appears very smug in nature and very, you know, I I, I am the healer. I am the, the you know, whatever. Um, like I don't it, have to prove I'm the Messiah. I'm the fucking Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> have, we, have you met? Have you seen me? Look at me. <laughs> this is around the time he has the the do rag looking thing on. He's riding the camel <laughs> yeah. triumphantly through the city. Um, yeah, but but you're right. It, it I, I do feel as though you know they they spend a lot of time on. Obviously, the the major plot points of, of what they want to tell. Um, how do you tell these other uh, stories that we've all heard before? Um, because you still do want to attach it to what we know to be true about Jesus. Um, so, would you have preferred if they had 
just shown one or two of these healing moments uh, instead of trying to show you five that is right. cut down to 20 seconds apiece. Yeah, I mean, I think that would make more sense um, in – and it would also fucking cut off probably 15 minutes of a two-hour and 41-minute movie, which is <laughs> always a good idea, especially because you're achieving the same thing by each one of these sequences. And it just – it feels like it's a nod to the, the people who are religious. Like, hey, look, you remember this? You remember lepers? We got lepers in this movie, so <laughs> it's fine. It's a checklist. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's what it felt like to me was that we were checking off all these things about Jesus that – everyone recognizes so now now we could get on with the rest of our movie but one thing i liked in one of those sequences he has essentially like maybe the shortest version of the sermon on the mount uh that's ever <laughs> been recorded like as he's walking away he's like oh yeah by the way the meek shall inherit the earth anyway uh <laughs> follow me uh but i liked earlier in that sequence that people don't immediately believe in him and immediately follow like right. he is very smug in that scene like don't you get it that the seed that's love get it and he keeps trying to explain it to people and they don't get it and he actually has to work for his followers which in most in most cinematic versions of this character usually that part is kind of brushed past and it's just like well look he teaches love everyone goes with him and i like that you're kind of looking at jesus in in these scenes as kind of like you're not even sure whether to root for him at this point because he is so smug and he is so condescending, and he actually so the fact that he has to work for this, I think, helps. Oh no, I, I agree uh, absolutely. Because you're looking at a character um, that uh, we all have an established view on, um, and they set out to humanize uh, the the Son of God. It's interesting to me because I think in a, on a lot of those levels, including the you know the the example that you just gave, um, I think it works. I think it works incredibly well um, that uh, you know Jesus isn't just going to various groups of people and saying, "Hey, you know me, my name is uh, my name's Jesus," uh, and that that's just, you know he you know that's 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 not what he's having to do. He is having to um, actually put forth effort, um, not just with finding followers, but um, with his own uh, destiny. And the acceptance of that or the rejection, whatever direction he ends up going, um, uh, you know, I, I think, though, that they have the ability to to give you some powerful scenes, um, especially if they went that direction without spending um, so much time with, like we said, with the montage, things of that nature. What, what I did have um, – um, a thought or question about, I guess, um, as it pertains to to one of the scenes was the uh, appearance of John the Baptist, um, and uh, you know, and just that visual of um, what felt very cult like in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's probably the first time in that in watching that film that I that I felt oh that I you know while watching I was like oh this is what um, you know someone who's agnostic thinks about religion. I get it. <laughs> My gosh. Um, Shit. Uh, but, you know, I, I had issue with it uh, because it seemed to me that to, at least to me that felt like the one scene uh, that was out of place. And it felt like the one thing that could that you could make the argument was playing up the uh, the heaviness of 80s televangelists, yeah. um, because that's what John the Baptist was. He, I mean, he that's what he was all about. He was he was uh, he was saying whatever it needed to be said. And people Baptized went, everybody. Just dunk them all smack, in the water. Yeah. Smack everybody in the head. Um, <laughs> healed. And I was like, all right, what is this shit? I don't, um, you know, outside the heart business, I don't know what is going on. So uh, I did feel like that was out of place. I don't know if they, they could have approached that differently to, to keep me uh, immersed, but, but it, it just seemed off. Yeah. It also seemed like totally and completely unnecessary 
for the mm-hmm. movie to even have the sequence. It just it felt like you know I don't know this obviously. It felt like Scorsese's like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna twist the knife a little bit here. Like let me just let me just show you how crazy religion is. And it was and it but it didn't serve the plot. I don't have any issue with people trying to get digs in on religion or any other group because I think it's it's healthy for every group to see that whether you believe or not some of this can seem out of the realm of possibility so it's yes. fine to 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 mock things I think that's fine but as long as it's for a purpose and this did not feel like it had a purpose but one right. one person we forgot to mention in the cast is David Bowie playing uh Punch's <laughs> pilot which I loved like I, but I was pissed because he's there for like two minutes. I'm like, you, you get David Bowie and you just get him for one sequence. And I think him and Willem Dafoe really work well together in that scene. And I was like, oh, well, he's definitely going to come back. And then it just never happens. You know, it, it's it's funny. because I know we've not gotten to the point yet of, of discussing our favorite scenes. Um, but I, I can just go ahead and, and, and mention the, the scene with, with Bowie as, as pilot was uh, one of my favorites uh, mm-hmm. throughout the entire film. And like you, um, I, I felt that that uh, we didn't get enough because I, I was pleasantly surprised at um, how Bowie played um, that scene. And like like you're saying, how they played off of one another. Um, you, you probably could have done more with that you if nothing else you could have stuck um pilot um david bowie in a couple of other scenes even in the background um even a couple of close-up shots of his reaction uh of him um actually stating and discussing that he's washing his hands of of this of this situation um but to bring him in for like a a cameo yeah what yeah, absolutely. I think the last thing I want to mention as far as the script, something that bothered me from the very beginning of the film is that we literally have Jesus building crosses. Uh, like, oh, I get it. He's like building the instruments of his own destruction. Huh? Like, <laughs> oh, isn't that clever? And it was just like, this is so over the top. This is hitting this so on the nose. And I think the reason the movie gets away with it is because – you know, I don't think there's many people who would come to this and be like, I don't know who Jesus is. Like you have <laughs> you have expectations. So the fact that he's like not out preaching and that he's getting slapped around by Judas and building crosses, you're so confused in this moment that I think you let a lot of nonsense go in that first yeah. five minutes because you're just trying to catch up because the movie just kind of throws you in and expects, OK, learn how to swim like this is this is the <laughs> Jesus we're having, the one who has no faith and is building crosses for people to be crucified on. Yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways that they wanted to introduce the 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 film as saying this isn't your daddy's Jesus, this isn't your mama's Jesus, right? Uh, you know, and, and so I get that to to a degree that that their approach was was um, setting the tone, uh, I guess for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, however, uh, I you know I could have just had that one scene with with Jesus kind of being uh, you know picked on, bullied, slapped around by Judas, and that would have said it enough for me. I didn't need like you were saying him. Uh, you know, creating the crosses and all that stuff. If, if if nothing else, being overloaded with it in the beginning uh, is is probably my one knock um, or my yeah. one big knock um, on the writing of the film. Um, I didn't feel very connected, um, honestly, until at least 25, 30 minutes in just because it was so much uh, of alternate world Jesus <laughs> right. uh, that, that, you know, 
Jesus Earth Two um, that that <laughs> it just kind of took me out because I felt it felt forced um, and yeah. to some degree. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, so let's switch gears and talk about the production value of this movie, which I was really impressed with. Like, I even went to the level to kind of looking up where this was filmed because I was like, this doesn't look like like there are some movies where you're like, okay, that was a soundstage, and I never had that feeling in this movie. Everything felt like you were you were there in this time and it was such a brilliant job of kind of staging this film in a way that it you i think it smartly like makes you feel like you've traveled back in time uh there's never a moment where you're thinking like oh willem devoe must have had a hard day on set like you never <laughs> you never had that moment maybe with harvey Keitel with his glued on ginger hair but everything else i thought like was just impeccable like all the scenes of him you know walking through the desert and Trying to trying to figure out if if uh, if he should listen to his father, if he should listen to God talking to him, like all of that felt really genuine. Yeah, it was really rich visuals um, across the board. Uh, maybe they just ran out of money when it came to the wig for for Kytel. I'm I'm not entirely sure. Uh, however, when I'm looking at uh, this film, to me, I, I I couldn't help but compare it to um, uh, you know a film that growing up in in my home that we watched quite often in in the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And when you watch the Ten Commandments, um, uh, one of the things that that I always uh, looked at when when I watched that film is is I felt like every background was painted on um, right. everything, you know, that visually that, that you're looking at, um, you know, doesn't look real. It doesn't look like that you're actually there. Um, it looks like it is a soundstage. Um, it looks like it is actually in Hollywood and they just they, they have great uh, art designers. And that's, you know, for the times, I'm sure that's you know, sure. that that's the best you can do. Uh, I didn't know how the, they were going to approach this film. Um, and, and I'm really glad, uh, though, though, that there is a. a sense of 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 realness uh to it um and that you don't you know there's there are plenty of times that these areas aren't heavily crowded with thousands and thousands of people uh you know we're, we're talking about a period of time when there was a lot less individuals walking around right. uh, and so you know at first i was thinking well you know if jesus has all these followers where are they at um <laughs> but, you know if jesus is on the cross why are there like three people like standing in front of him um <laughs> But the reality is, is that folks, individuals were just more spread out um, and there just wasn't that many. And so to me, it allows me to appreciate the scenes more because I'm actually able to see uh, more of the landscape, um, which was 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 beautiful um, um, to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, totally agree. The other other thing I wanted to mention when we were talking about writing is I think my big knock for this movie is I think in a lot of ways, the title of the film ruins the movie for me that last 30 minutes, because I think what the what what the film wants is for you to not be sure if this is real or not. Like this whole thing with the the devil tempting him with a family and a long life and moving on and having kids. Uh, But the movie's called The Last Temptation of Christ. Come on. Like we know (laughs) – like there was not a bone in my body that thought that this was real. Like again, watching this with my wife and she like tuned in for 10 seconds at at that moment and said like, who's that supposed to be? I'm like, oh, that's the devil. Like she's (laughs) – He's going to tempt him with a with a different life. And that's exactly what happened. Um, So I just felt like if you call this movie anything else, then maybe I'm fooled for a half a second. But as I'm watching it, like as soon as that character shows up and Jesus is on the cross, I'm like, oh, okay, here's the last temptation. Like here we've made it and we've been here for two fucking hours. We finally made it to the last temptation. So I feel like that is a real weakness in the script. It's just naming it that because then you're looking for it. 
Yeah, because when you when you really think about it, uh, yeah, you know, Jesus went through a lot of of uh, tribulate trials and tribulations throughout the film, um, but he hadn't really really been tested. So you're you're constantly waiting for uh, when's it really going to happen? When's he really going to have his back up against the wall and have to make this this incredibly difficult decision uh, whether to, whether or not to save mankind? I guess, um, and so. Uh, you know when you know when the angel appeared about uh, you know two or three seconds in, I was like, oh, okay, so we're just right. we're just waiting to see uh, Jesus say, hey, I'm I'm not falling for this this trick. Um, if if I'm thinking if if Derek is aware of it, surely Jesus knows. Um, would just we should just subject. switch it to what would Derek do? I mean, geez, this guy, <laughs> come on, this Jesus guy really takes him years <laughs> to figure this out. Literally an eternity. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> But maybe we can assume that individuals in 1988 just weren't smart enough to realize that little girl was Satan. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was not even one yet. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, when you look at the, the title itself, Last Temptation, um, yeah, I, I do wonder if, if individuals, uh, if their preconceptions about the film would be different um, if you titled it. Actually, I don't know what else you could title it, though. Do Jesus and, and Mary. I don't know um, yeah. how you could title it something else where there wouldn't be backlash. Now, of course, you could title it something different uh, where there wouldn't be that, uh, you know, that smoking gun as far as how the, the film ends. Um, but, I, you know, I was just trying to rattle my brain thinking about in what other ways you could introduce a title for this film. Because uh, if you just say the story of Jesus, uh, there's going to be a lot of pissed off families uh, that, that go into this film, you know, thinking it's just going to be their, their, their Sunday watch. Uh, so I, I think, know. I think we should go with your original idea. Just call it earth to Jesus. I think, you know, <laughs> that's good enough. Then earth people can Jesus. say, you know, Oh, this isn't my Jesus. Yeah. It's earth to Jesus. Calm down. Christians. <laughs> that's like, that's a simple way to get around it. All dance, right. Jesus dance, the David Bowie edition. So yeah. There oh, you go. see now that, that I'm on board for. Absolutely. Uh, of course you are. <laughs> All <Come> right. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about our favorite scene. So I'm going to go first. I think um, actually it's near it's, – it's probably near the beginning of the movie. There's a scene where Jesus kind of goes off to try and figure things out and he ends up talking to another individual about the fact that God talks to him. And I love the interplay of this scene how this this one character is saying like, I wish God talked to me. That would be so great. And Jesus saying like, eh, it's, you know, it's not really all it's cracked up to be. Like <laughs> sometimes he says things you really don't want to hear. And I love the difference between kind of knowing that and wanting to know that. And I think it makes yeah. the character of Jesus so much more human in that moment is that like, yes, he is, he is the son of God and he talks to God, but it doesn't just mean that this makes it easy for him. He is still struggling with this. And I think it informs his decisions in the rest of the film so you understand why he kind of keeps flip-flopping and doing different things and struggling with what he's supposed to do absolutely um i was actually a, a pretty big fan of that that scene as well um especially in the beginning of the film when i felt it was a little bit hit or miss that was probably one of the scenes that, that stood out to me mm -hmm. um when uh I was watching the film and we were talking about, uh, you know, kind of make sure that they hit all the Jesus benchmarks um, <laughs> of, you know, let's not let Mary Magdalene get stoned. Uh, those scenes were all great. But what, you know, really stood out to me um, and just the I guess the wisdom um, and the, the insight of Jesus was was the moment when they wanted to go to that wedding. 
And, uh, you know, that there's that the character that was basically looking at uh, Mary Magdalene's like, no, you're not you're not coming in here. We, we know about you. Um, and and Jesus's way of, of uh, dismantling this 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 individual um, in a really soft uh, way, um, but in a really insightful way at the same time. To me, that uh, was, um, I, I think, uh, more powerful. Uh, for me, uh, than all the other great you know scenes of him healing and and, um, and things of that nature. Uh, I enjoyed it a, a lot. I, I also liked the, the uh, when when Jesus was in the desert, um, and before we got the lion and the the, the <laughs> fire and all of this this stuff. I actually enjoyed the interaction with the serpent. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that definitely that, works. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know what it was, and and I could definitely tell that it doesn't const or it, it wasn't a constant as far as working for me because mm-hmm. when I saw the lion and some of the other things, I was like, all right, this I don't I don't need all this. <laughs> um, but their first interaction with this with the serpent uh, made me uneasy uh, uh for jesus because I, I was thinking wow he you know what is he up against um you know he is constantly going to to be um challenged with this concept of what do i trust and what do i believe um just like the serpent um you know we what are your intentions with me really um and i think that's something that he was even dealing with obviously with 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 god the the entire way uh through so uh and then obviously the David Bowie stuff is awesome. Yeah, actually, let's talk about that for a second, because you mentioned something earlier with being impressed with how Bowie played it. And I really was, too, because you think David Bowie, you think extreme, you think over the top because that is his, you know, his public persona, uh, especially at this time. And I was amazed at how restrained this scene was. And it was like it was like listening to an academic conversation between two very intelligent people and they were both trying to hear each other out and trying to figure out what to do next. And I loved it. Like I I would have taken, you know, five, 10 more minutes of that in that scene. And it felt like, and like I said, I just kept waiting for him to come back or at least have, like you mentioned that washing of the hands scene. Like you're going to do every other fucking checklist item (laughs) in this movie. Like that's a pretty big one. Like washing the blood off of his hands. Like, come on. Like we got the crown of thorns. We got everything else, but we don't get, maybe David Bowie was only available for like 30, minutes that day and they're like just do this scene and fly back to whatever concert you have to do but i definitely should have hired sting (laughs) jesus (laughs) (laughs) but i think the only other scene that really stuck with me actually and you talked about these moments of like where you actually feel that uh that scorsese respects religion and has has some spirituality to him and i thought the eucharist scene the blood in the body scene at gethsemane i thought really worked and they they really kind of paid honor to how important that moment was which i think you really need if you're going to make a movie about jesus but it would have been very easy to just brush past that and i'm really glad they didn't oh yeah uh I agree again. Uh, one one thing of note uh, that I was uh, wanting to touch on, uh, going back to to Bowie one more time. I feel like this is this is the the Bowie Bowl. Uh, but uh, one of the, the the things that he said that I thought was one of my favorite lines um, when he was talking to Jesus about his fate um, and that he will end up basically in a um, uh, basically in a cemetery of skulls, uh, pretty much. And and he looks and I actually wrote this down because I thought it was really neat. Uh, he says, "I do." wish you'd go out and count them sometimes uh you'd learn a lesson and Mm. probably not 
Uh, and what he's saying is, hey, there's been so many individuals like you. You are no different than anyone else. And um, uh, a, it's indicative of the amount of skulls, the amount of death uh, that's out here. And this, you will be out here as well. And I could show you this, but it probably wouldn't change anything. You're still going to do what you're going to do, and it's still going to uh, uh, you know, be the end for you. And, and I just thought it was a really, really great line, and I thought it was uh, really uh, telling about how they viewed Jesus as just some other guy. Um, that was that was saying a bunch of nonsense. That was pulling a bunch of people in, and was just going to get himself killed. Um, there was nothing more to him than that. Um, so yeah, it's it's really great scene. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, that makes the the kind of temptation, like vision version of Jesus, into that character. And it's it's interesting if you look at the character of Jesus in this film. You could either read it as someone who is truly the Messiah or someone who truly isn't all the way up, I think, until the very end of the film. So it's interesting that Jesus makes a choice about 30 minutes before the end of this film to become kind of the, you know, the 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 murderer, like one degree separated that he's accused of being, you know, all for kind of this kind of personal happiness. So but then kind of reverts to that at the end of the film. So it makes for kind of an interesting reading of that scene. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I really... I, I really enjoyed uh, the film um, as a whole, and and I'm, when I texted you uh, while I was watching it, and I was like, hey, you know, I, 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 I don't know uh, necessarily how I feel about it, um, mm-hmm. but uh, when I was really able to just absorb uh, the struggle and the and the humanization um, of a character that in no other format or media I've ever seen humanized, right? Um, I, I think that really, uh, I think it, not to sound cliche, it really spoke spoke to me on, on some level. Um, and you could make the argument that it is one of the most beautiful depictions of Christ and still blasphemous at the same time. And that's right. okay. Right. Um, I, I really do think that that is okay um, because you could apply that to a lot of individuals um, and they could – that humanness – um, or, or to say it better, that lack of humanness, I think, is sometimes what causes individuals to look at um, maybe a, a spiritual experience as being something that they can't connect to. Um, and right. so I think, uh, you know, uh, Scorsese really did a great job um, of extending that uh, that branch of humanity. So, yeah, I think that's an important point, actually. I think that's something like ha- as being someone who was raised in the church, that was always something it was really difficult to bridge that gap. Like you talk about, you know, Jesus as being both human and divine, but he's perfect. So how do I how do I connect with this? And order my life in a way to be like him because I never can. And I think sure. this version of Jesus makes him seem like makes him seem like a regular guy at certain moments of this film, like someone who, given this great responsibility, at some point buckles under it because it is so much bigger than he is. So I like that it does. You're right. It does make him a much more human character. Like you could make a movie about Jesus that stayed closer to the biblical version. But I'm not sure that makes a good movie because characters who never change and are always perfect, you know, that doesn't amount to much. And I think this character does. Right. Uh, We're talking about a story in which someone doesn't really face adversity. Um, Even when he is crucified, it's not really adversity because there's a transcendent understanding of 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 why this is necessary. And so. That is a reason why I, I believe that when you have these films that want to just go with a straight-up depiction of Jesus, they they are, from a cinematic um, perspective, they're flat 
in nature. There's no arc to the character at, at all in it. And and so you know if you're looking at something like the Passion, a lo- uh, you know a lot of it is just based on the brutality of of the crucifixion. But there is no there is no transition of the character's arc. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, so let's talk about the theme just for a couple minutes. So I got really creative and just stole the word out of the title and said, okay, this movie's about the temptation of Christ. We're going to do this on temptation. Um, So I feel like this movie hits – like it hits it pretty hard uh, from the beginning of the film. Like I think – I think Jesus at some point even talks about like he makes a, a running list of these things he can't do and these things he's tempted <laughs> by. Uh, so how do you feel like the movie handled the theme of temptation? I, I, I think they did a, a masterful job um, in a lot of ways because, um, you know, like we've said before, when you're watching Jesus uh, go through these these obstacles and these difficulties, um, you can really understand and and attach them to the difficulties that we have went through, uh, be it uh, as as teenagers or twenty somethings or thirty somethings, whatever the case may be. There's a level of relatability, um, and I think that's that's really at its core. Um, you know, kind of what I'm walking away uh, from uh, when I watch the film. I know what it's like to be in a situation um, in in which uh, the decision that I that I may make may not be something uh, that is uh, best for me, uh, but my desire, uh, you know, tells me otherwise. Um, and that internal conflict um, is really at the root uh, of temptation that I think is is an unavoidable reality of life. Right. Um, and I think that was, you know, when we're looking at, at Jesus, it's saying, yeah, he is God in the flesh. But, hey, uh, don't forget that part about the flesh. Yeah, um, exactly. Don't forget, uh, you know, how difficult it is and how detrimental um, it can be to cater to that side. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways throughout most of the film, he kind of did go back and forth. Um, you know, it wasn't just that he, he had these desires and he was just like, nope, not going to do it. Um, he was really, <laughs> which would have been a terrible film too. But short. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I guess, that is the one silver lining. Uh, we'd be, we'd be talking 58 minutes about a three minute movie. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, I, I, it, there has to be difficulty. Um, and, and there is, uh, there's an opportunity for growth, um, through dealing with, um, and recognizing temptation. And I think right. for, for Jesus, that was his, his struggle. Um, had he not been tempted, um, I don't think it's nearly as powerful of a story. Um, I don't think it's nearly as, um, as, as some, as understandable for, for us. Um, which is why when you depict it in this manner, um, it, it really is something that, that I can get behind. Yeah. I think the thing I really liked about how it dealt with temptation, I think it would be easy to make a movie about temptations and just deal with the extremes like, you know, uh, lust that's like unwanted by the other side, gluttony, all these things. But I love the fact that it focuses on the thing that tempts him the most is having a life, you know, settling down with someone, having kids, living a quiet life until the day he dies. Like that's that's his ultimate temptation. And I I like that it like it, it went a little bit deeper than just like, oh, all these things that are self-destructive. That's what you're tempted by. Like, no, I'm just tempted by the peace and quiet of an ordinary life because he is constantly being constantly under the pressure of these of these giant ideas that he needs to that he needs to, like, push forward as the Messiah. So I love the idea that he's just tempted by these these really simple things. 
Damn it, Dave. That's a great point. Um, I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought of it in that manner, but you're absolutely correct. Uh, and you can, you can relate it to modern day archetypes. You know, when you, when you talk about, yeah, Batman or Superman or whomever, um, what they really want is not the riches of the world. They oftentimes have difficulty balancing normalcy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what they want. If 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 uh, Bruce Wayne could could have his way, um, he would no longer be tormented um, by the responsibility that he feels as though that he has that he has to engage in in life in this manner. He might just be a normal guy, mm-hmm. um, and that's what we're looking at with Jesus. Uh, you know, he if, when when we're watching the film, there's multiple times that uh, Satan or whomever comes to him and it's like, "You can have it all. You can have whatever country you want." Which, by the way, if I'm, I'm Jesus, I don't want a country. I I, I want the world. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but how silly. Um, Don't you know who I am? No, a country. How dare you? It's insulting. Jesus. Literally Jesus. Um, yeah, no, but, but you know, we never really see those difficulties for him. He's like, yeah, but I'm okay. It's really when he is uh, given the opportunity to just be not Jesus, but Joe, just regular um, right. in nature, that, that it's something that's incredibly difficult for him. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. So the last thing we need to talk about uh, is the next Scorsese movie that is, I guess, kind of came out like it's out in a few theaters here and there. It's not exactly a it's not a casino. You know, it's it's not Goodfellas. It's not something that's looking to make a bunch of money. This is another kind of passion project, just like uh, just like The Last Temptation of Christ was from Scorsese uh, called Silence about uh Jesuit missionaries who go to Japan, I guess, is the simplest way to put it, uh, which I think a lot of people expected at the beginning of this year that this would be a big Oscar contender. But, you know, Scorsese just can't stop fucking tinkering with shit and didn't put it out <laughs> until like a week before the, the year ended. So there you have its uh, its Oscar chance. It's got a, it got a couple nominations, uh, but definitely not not something that's going to sweep any awards this year. Uh, but are you excited about seeing Silence? I am uh, to to a degree, I, I guess you could say. Um, it, it, it's one of those films that's kind of been a little under the radar uh, for me. Um, I've, I've been waiting for another Scorsese film. I think it's been Wolf of Wall Street. Was that the last uh, Scorsese Could be. film? Yeah, I think so. We're, we're looking at, well, oh my gosh, uh, three to four years. Um, I, and for me, that, that window is just a little bit too large. Um, I, I want Scorsese every year. Um, and so right. uh, I am looking forward to it uh, from, from that degree. I, I watched the trailer, um, and I'll be honest, I, I don't know a lot about the film. I know the general synopsis, um, but uh, I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I like Adam Driver a lot. I love Liam Neeson. Uh, Andrew Garfield – Mm, we'll see how that works. Okay. Um. Uh. In the film, uh, definitely, I'm, I'm definitely going to go see it. Though I just, I'm going, I'm going to try to temper my expectations. Um. And, and it's also a long film. Uh, yeah. So. It's, it's about the same length as this one you just watched. So <laughs> these things just keep lining up. Like Scorsese, Faith, over two hours and forty minutes. Like they're all, they're all connected. Uh. Yeah. So I've already seen the movie, so I'm not going to talk about it yet because we're going to talk about it later this week. Uh. Hopefully with Mike, if I can. Uh, get him back on here finally um but i'll talk about kind of like what i was thinking before i saw the movie and i was really excited about this because as someone who was raised in the church and then left faith is something that always interests me and there are even times as someone who does not have faith that i have this kind of mild envy of people who do like there are there's a certain level of of kind of of calmness that comes with like I believe in this and I know this to be true that I will probably never have uh so the the kind of 
the kind of taking a closer look at faith and in a different time. Uh, and I also really like Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. So I was looking forward to this anyway. So it's definitely something that was on my ra- radar and kind of high on my list of things I want to see. And I'll tell you everything I thought about it uh, in a couple days on Monday. So you'll find that out then. Uh, it's the shits, I'm sure. <laughs> everything's terrible. Everything's <laughs> the worst. Uh, you've confused me with Mike again. That's that's Mike's view on movies. <laughs> Everything is terrible. I'm that's kinda... why we don't watch anything together anymore. Yeah, it's probably a good call. All right. Uh, so before you go, one more time, uh, tell people how they can reach you on Twitter. Uh, yeah, you can reach me at Daystew. That's D A Y S T E W. Um, and I'm I'm fairly active on there. So so I'll, I'll I'll hit you back up. I guess you could say. <laughs> All right, everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study. So the next time you hear me, hopefully me and Mike will be doing a review of Martin Scorsese's latest epic, Silence, uh, to get us prepped for more Academy Awards talk. And if you want to help out the show and connect with the show, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. Best way, honestly, is to follow me on Twitter at PC Case Study. I'm really active there and always willing to chat. Or you can go to followingfilms.com and check out other great movie podcasts like War Machine vs. Warhorse or the Following Films podcast. And if you really want to go the extra mile and help out, go to patreon.com slash popculturecasestudy. And there you can actually donate to the show on a per-episode basis. So for as little as a dollar an episode, and we just charge you for four episodes a month, not the eight that we actually do, you can support an independent podcast and even get some cool rewards like, you know, having a shout-out online or on the show or even being on the show if you donate enough money. All right, so that's it for now. Until next time, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. I was waiting for you to ask people to slide into your DMs. That's the song. <laughs> I already have enough of that trouble as it is. <laughs> I hope that makes it. <laughs> oh, that'll be in there. Don't you worry about it. What a great rape scene that was. Oh, <laughs> good gracious. You know you're still being recorded, right? So that's going at the top of the show. What a Fine. great rape scene that was. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've come to expect with me anyway, I guess. Yeah. <laughs>